I think when the classification rules changing and it's built, be accessible to everyone as soon as you can yeah. run that train. Rather than having false hope almost and thinking they'll get somewhere. Hi, I'm Brooke Melhouse. Welcome to Disabled and Proud, the podcast that does exactly what it says on the tin. Each week, the show highlights an awesome disabled guest speaking about their own disability, why they're proud to be disabled, and why they're proud to be themselves. So, Peter, welcome to Disabled and Proud. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for giving up some time at your day to be on. I'm looking forward to this chat. I feel like I'm going to learn lots of different things, which is great. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so, the first question that I ask absolutely anybody and everybody who's been on this podcast is how do you refer to your disability? So, I refer it as cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born three months premature. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, I blame my, I was about to say that I blame my parents actually for that, <laughs> but I can't. I can't actually blame them for that. Um, yeah, and um, I am also hearing to profound hearing loss mm-hmm. as well. Uh, so you know, double trouble. Um, and so yeah, that was a very interesting childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just been me, a part of me, you know. So I don't really see, I don't really see it as anything different. Yeah. And it's actually so interesting that you said that about childhood, because I always think disabled children, particularly like in childhood, you have a very different childhood. And I was wondering, what was that like for you in terms of your educational experience, in terms of like making friends, all those kind of things that we do when we're really little? What was what was that experience like for you? Well, I would say that I was very lucky mm-hmm. in terms of that. So um, I remember very, very, very well, considering I'm 26, I'm starting to get a bit old now. Um, but actually, in my early years, I do remember going to the... I've, I'm not sure whether it's still around now, but it used to be the Queen Elizabeth Foundation or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, early, early years kind of preschool mm-hmm. for disabled children uh-huh. and um, I remember being in there and it was all disabled like nine difficulties and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing so I remember doing that um, about a little two and then I was quite lucky in the uh, attachment area that well, I'm based in West Sussex mm-hmm. so I was able to go to um, schools and Early early years, uh, but the funny thing was that because my first disability is hearing impairment mm-hmm. rather than my physical disability, yeah, I was put in reception year one, year two, in a deaf unit. Okay, that used to be called Alan Vale, mm-hmm. um, and there was a school next door to Alan Vale that was Connaught. And they had a deaf unit as well. But but now, since I've gone, they've now come together as one big school called River Beach. Uh-huh. So I would prefer it to River Beach now. But um, but in those early years, I, it was very much the deaf part of me mm-hmm. 
been the my, the focal the focal point, um, and the funny thing is with having the the deafness was that as you can tell, I speak quite clearly and I speak quite well. Mm-hmm. Not many deaf people get to do that. Yeah. So some of my deaf friends have got they can sort of whisper and sign a bit of sign language mm-hmm. um, and some can talk and sign some of them choose not to sign but talk and there are so many different variations of that and you know as you could tell from the last five minutes I could talk for England yeah. so um, <laughs> so yeah I mean but looking back now yeah I was very very lucky and no one ever treated me different especially in the wheelchair as well yeah. Um, being an, an electric wheelchair, uh-huh. but there was a few times I was on a manual, and that was quite an interesting few days. Yeah. That was when it came to being in a manual chair, being pushed around um, for a whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but yeah, very lucky to sort of be focusing on my hearing impairment. Mm-hmm. And I don't, or oh, actually, I don't think it would have mattered if it was being put in the disabled school. I've no idea, yeah. but. I was very lucky with the area that I'm in and to have those experiences. Yeah, and it is such a postcode lottery. Like, depending on where you live, it kind of depends on what services are available to you and it's and it's not the same countrywide, which in and of itself is a problem that the UK faces and that's that's a whole other conversation for a different point in time. It is. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was wondering, so with your deafness... Do did you learn to sign at a young age? I did. Um, I would actually refer it as a very vague um, one because my mum, mm-hmm. even before I was born, she did BSL um, e- evening classes mm-hmm. just as an interest. Yeah, um, and it was so. It was just. So, like, like, just like I say, a postcard lottery that I'm deaf and she was able to still attend those. Um, I remember it being on a Thursday night, she was going to some sign language class and then come back and teach me those signs. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and that was, and apparently my first language is BSL, mm-hmm. not, not, not English. So I do find that a bit quite interesting because I don't sign now. Yeah. Um I've forgotten most of the sign language if I'm honest with you at the moment. Uh but but back then uh, it was pretty much a good experience but of course being in the wheelchair obviously I'll be driving around the place and I would have to stop and sign and I just found that too much. I was this is all just a faff. So I just end up talk uh I've always been able to talk anyway, but I I remember just talking a lot and then remembering my difference probably can understand everything so I had to sign sometimes mm-hmm. but I'll just remember talking all the time and not not really wanting to sign at all um, and, and and then I used to have what was called well it's probably still called it now but um, speech and language therapy yeah, so. yeah and I remember having that at Mostly primary school, mm-hmm. but by the time I joined secondary school, it wasn't really needed because yeah. I already um, had that sort of development already. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mainly in um, 
in primary school that happened. And I remember being in a little room with the speech and language therapist for an hour session. And I think I, I, it was, I remember it always being fun. Yeah, because obviously as a kid, you've got to entertain yourself and with those sessions all the school. But I'll probably say that I'm not to sort of blame my own home, but um, I was probably on a more developed um size compared to my other deaf peers in the unit mm-hmm. um but again that was just i think my progression has already grown and, and i do feel a bit sad for the other ones that actually that they couldn't probably um speak well is everyone's choices in life what they do but some of them i felt a bit bad for because um I was because at one point it was halfway through primary school that I was it used to be wires going up into my hearing aids mm-hmm. and they would be attached to some sort of microphone thing. Mm-hmm. And the teacher would always have to wear a microphone thing so I could hear the teacher better than the students because it would be blocking a background noise. Mm-hmm. So the teacher would just I would hear the teacher more. Um, and halfway through primary school, um, I got to change the equipment for me. Mm-hmm. So I was put on those sort of wireless ones. Mm-hmm. And I remember with a friend Atlanta, she was in the same class as me all throughout school and primary school as well. Um, and she, she, she wanted those wireless ones as well. <laughs> but... Because um, of the level of her hearing, um, it was better suited back then, I suppose, that she was kept wearing this wire ones and being strapped in her belly. And, you know, I, I'm, looking up, I'm looking back on it quite, quite funny at the moment, but back then it was certainly a, a, a shock um, to see, um, you know, where I was among the others. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I was, again, very lucky with the choices that I had and it was given to me and uh, to, to make me the person I am today. Yeah. And what I what I like about that is that you're, you're aware to be able to be like, I was in this situation and I was very lucky because, as we've already said, like postcode lottery plays a really big part, particularly when we're talking about disabled children and, and the access to the things that they can have. And I really, I think there's so much to be said in appreciating that and being like, you know what, I was just really lucky and and it just happened to be right place, right time. But I was wondering, with your education and being disabled, did being a disabled man impact your career choices and the path that you went down? Um, So I was a bit disappointed with the exam system i mean i don't mind being in a separate room because obviously um i don't know about you but i used to have like 20 percent extra time or something mm-hmm. and with an assistant next to you yeah. in the room and then i went to yeah and um but i didn't mind that but it would have been nice to have been in the hole with the others um, i've been in the hall yeah. with the others and it was awful like oh, was it? when I so I used to have to do it all in like a big hall and then 
then I got removed and got put in like my own little room to myself because they were like you can't concentrate in this environment it's not going to work for you and I remember the relief because I would get so distracted by all the other people like someone (laughs) tapping their pen or like someone chewing some gum or like someone fiddling with their pencil someone tapping their feet and I would literally be like a little bird being like oh my god like where do I look? What do I do? And like bearing in mind that there is like an exam paper in front of me that I needed to finish, I would be like, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I get distracted really easily myself as well. Yeah. So I'll, I'll probably be a little kept as bad. But no, I mean, but I didn't mind being in a separate room and all that. It just meant that um, because of the deafness I've got, I think because being in a separate room, meaning there was a little bit more peace and quiet. Yeah. And um, and I don't, I don't really, I think it was just because the, um, yeah, I don't quite understand why it was like that, but that's just the way it was. And it was nice to be able to get someone to read the questions, not that I needed it, mm-hmm. but I just thought, you're here, you might as well read the questions <laughs> for me, and I'll just, you know, sort of do that. Um, because otherwise, what, what would be the point of having someone stare at you for two hours doing an exam paper? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I did find that a bit odd at the beginning, but I got used to it after a while, and it would always be in the deaf unit classroom. Mm-hmm. So, um, that in secondary school, so that was okay. It, it was just the yeah. norm. Um, but moving on from that, uh, since I remember doing SATs in year seven and do like a base that was in a classroom with all the others, it was like easy to do sort of thing. Yeah. So that was a bit different. But everything, and then when I went on to college um, and university, it was all together because it was all based on coursework, mm-hmm. no essays, assignments, no um, exams. So that was probably the easy route, not mm-hmm. doing exams and just doing coursework. But that's, that's, that's the way I, I like to things. no exams, just coursework. Yeah. And, and did your disability impact where your choices of where you went to uni or like the course that you did? So... It did very much impact that in terms of when I got to secondary school uh, back in 2009, mm-hmm. um, uh, I I was introduced to a book called Botcher. Yeah. Um, didn't know what it was, didn't know anything about it. And um, it was at that point on, I became a Botcher athlete, I completed nationally um, and... I was actually on the Paralympic pathway mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, up until uh, up until a point where I got reclassified into a different classification that wasn't on the Paralympic pathway. But back then, uh, second, second, I enjoyed it so much that I got into wanting to be this sports coach yeah. quite early on. And that was my route, that was my path. And so I did sports coaching. Um, leaders awards stuff during my time that and GCSEs were um, I, I wanted it to be peer based but obviously math, science, English that was never going to be uh, the opportunity to do that 
peeing was part of it, but again, that wasn't a proper GCSE yeah. thing because um, at Ainwin, when I went to second school, uh, PE was where we got taken out of and sort of been put in the uh, disabled units uh, sports mm-hmm. classes. But you had curling, table cricket, table tennis, all those sort of things. But butcher was the main one that the school did. So I got into that. Under the sports coach, I did sport degrees at A level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did all that. Um, and But the main point where everything changed was after Aimwin, I did sit form and everything. And I went on to Toulouse College. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know Toulouse. No. Too. It's, a, it's a disabled school and college, um, a residential okay. school and college. Um, from, like, you know, early years of school up until sit formed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I was only there for two years. I was part of a school set up, the college <laughs> set up. And, um, and I that for two years but I wasn't at Chalos to um as a college so I was residential there during the week and I went to a college nearby Alton College to do sport diploma and EPQ which I hated but again that's a different topic um and then at Chalos I did part-time now so I went back to Chalos and did a NVQ business and administration. So you know, surprise, surprise! I'm clever all of a sudden. <laughs> um, and then, so coming into my second year at uh, Orton College, they sort of wanted me to look into the future, like what's after Toulouse, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, are you interested in university? I went, no, not interested in uni. Never, no, 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 no. no. No idea why, but I just thought, no, mm-hmm. that's it. I'm going to be a sports coach. That's it for the rest of my life. Um, and I said, just go to this open day. This sort of conversation carried on for about three or four months afterwards. Are you, are you going to go to an open day? You know, are you thinking about what's going to happen? Are you thinking? And I went, okay. I mean, I just thought originally I was going to go just to shut their faces, you know, because they yeah. kept talking about it. I would never drop, the con- drop, drop, drop it. So I went over to an open day. That open day changed my mind completely. Oh, really? I didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. So after that open day, after about four months of them complaining to me about what I'm going to do, I went back to them and said, I'm going. They're like, what? Yeah, that was definitely an eye opener. Um, so looked at Southampton was the only university they would recommend. I think it's because they get on quite well. So the transition team at Trillors got on well with their students uh, support um, student support team mm-hmm. because they've had other Trillors students go there yeah. in the past. So they've got on quite well. And um, and now um. We're in January, so last August I finished university after five years, and uh, yeah, um, and I would definitely say that uni's been definitely an interesting time mm-hmm. because I went in two thousand and eighteen. Uh, did well, I went there originally 
for the sport and all that stuff. So I did sports coaching and sports development. Mm -hmm. So I did a foundation year and then three years. Yeah. And then, and then COVID happened mm -hmm. halfway through my first year. So the, 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 the next two years I thought it was quite interesting online and not doing any practical uh sports sessions was a bit of a disappointment mm -hmm. because I'm very much a um a social person. Yeah. As you could probably tell me. <laughs> um and and then after my four years I sort of thought what am I gonna do because this was twenty twenty one I was trying to think about what we're gonna do after twenty twenty two. And Cambridge was still around at that point so mm -hmm. I thought I'm not because my plan, my plan was always was gonna be travelling after uni, but of course with the restrictions in other countries not being open, I couldn't then travel yeah. like I wanted to. So I made a decision to stay for next uni and do a masters, which I thought would never happen to me <laughs> at all. Again, so again, I'm definitely underestimating myself, aren't I? Mm, for um, sure. And so, <laughs> and so I. Because the grade I got from my undergrads was a 2-2, two -two, mm -hmm. and my next coaching one was a 2-1, I thought, I'm not even going to bother applying. I don't think I'll get it, because it was a one uh, grade uh, level that I needed. Mm -hmm. um, so I looked at other sport-related courses, and I looked at sports broadcast journalism. Yeah. And that that was so something completely different. But I thought at the time it would open up my chances of getting a job because as we both know, uh, being disabled and getting a job doesn't go exactly hand to hand sometimes very, very these true. days. So um, yeah, they don't marry each other quite quite as well. So um, I thought it would open up my chances. So that was the main reason. But I really, very much enjoyed it. Um, again, it, it, was, it was just like being. A, being back at primary school, everyone treated me with such, you know, it was a very nice, very nice year. Um, everyone treated me exactly the same as everyone else, um, which was a lovely, a lovely surprise. Um, and, you know, because we all came from all over the world, there was a few from India, one from Jersey, so it was a very nice mix of people. And um, I very much enjoyed it. And... I managed to get myself out and about more than I expected because I went over to um, Weymouth mm -hmm. for a sailing comment. I went all over, all over the place for my for doing like uh, filming and editing and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So I mean, I'm still doing that at the moment. I'm still going around place and doing that. So that's very much improved my um, independence um, and yeah. Let's see what the future holds. Yeah. So you mentioned botcher, and is that that's the right way to pronounce it, isn't it? Botcher, yes. Yeah. Well done. A lot of people say it wrong, and I'm like, no, it's botcher. <laughs> and for all of those who don't know what it is, do you want to just give us like a quick little rundown of what it is? And, and like, I, I know it's a sport, and I know it's a disabled sport, but after that, I know not so much. <laughs> No, but a lot of us in the books and computers are saying, why do people still go, what is butter? You know, Google's 100 fingertips. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, yeah. But, um, but, so 
Butchers, a Pound, only one of two Paralympic sports do not have a Olympic equivalent, actually. Mm. So it's quite a unique sport. It's very similar to bowls. So you have sits red, sits blue, and a jack, a jack ball, which is the white, white ball. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, for just for detail. Um, and the, the objective of the game is to get your ball closer to the white ball as you can. That's basically it. It sounds easy, but it's not. It's very technical, very... You've got to really think. Um, that's how I normally do say it's quite a challenge for me, but telling you what I've done in the last few years, you know, it's pretty much not a surprise. Um, but um, that, yeah, so it's just getting the ball close. Uh, it's very technical. You've got to think about what you've got to do, what the opponent could do, and then what you've got to do after that. It's very much looking forward and you know i would say hindsight's wonderful but in a sport like that you can't really do that yeah um so yeah it's, it's very much a challenge but it's a sport that i love mm-hmm. and and with botcher is it like you can be in mixed teams or is it single sex teams and and when you're playing, is there like a regional level and a national level, or is it just like the UK that plays it? Tell me a bit more about it. Okay, so um, so there's there's four classifications worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every country does it. So you've got BC one to four. So one is um, any um, disability that can't have their balls on their person so they have an assistant hand them the ball. Mm-hmm. BC2 is what used to be just solid palsy, but it's now open to a much wider um, of disabilities. Yeah. Uh, so you've got more of a grasp and you can have the balls on your person, on your lap or on a gutter or something, so you can get the balls yourself. Mm-hmm. BC3 is for rampers, so if you can't throw, you'll be using the ramp to do the balls. And BC4 is for any other... Um, it's basically a BC2, but for more more range and diverse disabilities, like spinal cord, uh, muscle dystrophy, that type of thing. Yeah. And then you've got the BC4 after 8, which I used to think actually the, only the UK does those. But I've since realised that there are BC5s around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so England, so the UK is actually the only one. As far as I'm aware, at time of recording, actually, I should say, um, that the, so the five uh, is for a strong gut BC2, which is what I am now. I was a two. Mm-hmm. I'm now a five. Uh, so there's a stronger version of a two. A BC6 is... Um, for a much stronger uh, five, and then you've got the sevens, which is visually impaired, and then eight is um, Down syndrome and or the other, like autistic and everything else. And you do individual, so you can play on the round, and then you've got team impaired competitions mm-hmm. that happens all, all, all around the world and all of that. Uh, so you do the so, so individual, you can do national, I mean internationally, you can play England and then you've got, uh, sometimes have regional opens, so sometimes you go to Scotland, Wales, mm-hmm. Northern Ireland, 
for any of those. Um, um, and then teams and pairs, you can do team and pair competitions. Uh, it used to be just people in your own classification, but some in some competitions you can be paired up with a so it'd be like BC1, BC2 group, and then you've got BC3 on their own, and then you've got BC4, BC5 type uh, mm -hmm. groups. Uh, and you can also play as a club. So I've got a club set up called Solent Butcher that I started at Solent mm -hmm. so at, at my time at uni. Um, and we play as a, as a, when you're playing as a team in the league. It doesn't matter what classification you might you can play. Uh -huh. So that opens it up a bit more. And uh, so we've we've done we've done that. And we played in the National League, won that in our first season, we're now in the Super League, which is like uh Premier League type yeah. thing, if you want to put it in that in those terms. And last year I went to Germany for like it was a um to open international open for one to five, mm -hmm. uh, busy one to five, and I I won that. Amazing! Gold. Yeah, I've actually got a trophy here. Let me just. Uh, it's quite big and chunky, <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. amazing! It's Thank amazing you. that it's such an inclusive sport as well. And I really like what you said about yes. the teams is that it doesn't matter like what category or what level you're at, you can play. Whereas so many sports, including Paralympic sports, don't have that because as we all know, it's all done on classification. Classification changes all the time, causing many different people, yeah. many different problems. But this seems to be the one sport that really nails it on the head in terms of its accessibility and the fact that everybody can play. Yeah, it does. It's very inclusive. Um, and you know, it doesn't really matter what disability you've got, you can probably pretty much fit yourself in butcher. Yeah. And it's very much, like, very much, very, very much just, just like what you said with others. You've got certain classifications. If you fit in, you fit in. If you don't, you're turfed out almost. Yeah. So you're exactly right. You've really much nailed the head there. And um, I'm now. Uh, um, Paralympic journalist uh, for a radio station. So, you know, so these are, but again, you've hit on my head there. Yeah. You, know, you very much took the words out of my mouth there, actually. But, <laughs> but yeah. Par I mean, the Paralympics are great for what they do, but I think there are so many people that really miss out because of classification problems and issues and they're consistently changing and, and so many people want so many different things out of it that actually when it comes down to what it is, is that nobody is ever going to be in full agreement and it's never going to be unified. And I think, and it's a really horrible thing to have to say, but at some point everybody just has to realise that that's exactly what it is and, and there's never going to be a solution for it. It's just the goalposts are always going to change. Yes. Um, and yeah, that's something that, that's something that I resonate with very closely because I mentioned I was reclassified. Yeah. So the butcher classification rules, Bisbed, which is the World Butcher Organization, they changed the rules back in two thousand and eighteen, mm -hmm. and I wasn't I wasn't looked at until twenty twenty one. Yeah. So, so yeah, I spent uh, three or four years thinking, okay, BC two, I'm in the Paralympic pathway. And then at 21, nope, 
your BC your BC five. Took it completely under the took me completely under the rug and mm. I was no longer part of the pattern pathway for Paris LA Bisbee. And um I was very uh, understandably very disappointed. Um but you know, everything in life happens for a reason, I I guess, you know. Um take me a while to rethink what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. Um and that probably took me down the jo- jo- journalist path. So yeah. I was thinking if I can't be an athlete in the Paralympic Games, what's next? I can be a coach, which I was doing, mm-hmm. a coaching degree, or I can be a journalist. Yeah. Um and you know, so I've got again more choices there now compared to before. Um and uh, but I did say why did most people get classified back in two thousand eighteen when the rules changed, and and why did they leave some people till like twenty one because there was a couple of other people that were classified reclassified at the same time as me, so it wasn't I'm mm-hmm. um, completely on my own. We were all on the same boat, me and a couple of other athletes at the time, but. I think when the classification rules changing and it's built, we classify everyone as soon as you can yeah. run that train. Mm-hmm. Well, then having letting people have false hope almost and thinking they'll get somewhere when they don't. And of course, back back in twenty one, it was three years three years before Paris. Yeah. So yeah. And it's and it's very true. And I'm. After all of that experience, particularly with like recategorization and and like growing up as a disabled child, is there a piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Um, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> that would probably be the, the quickest answer. Yeah, that would be very much the first piece of advice. Don't get your hopes up because I've done that many a time and been left disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think it would be just take your time because I would just be always be rushing to things head first without thinking mm-hmm. um, and I, I still do to this day I, I've got no filter book <laughs> so um, I'll just, just come up with it and deal with the consequences later uh, sounds just that, like me I can appreciate that so uh, much uh, yeah. why has it taken us this long to make a book I know why <laughs> has it I love it when this happens <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Um, but yeah, so um, I just come out with it, and, but because that's what gets me in trouble with my family. One part, one side, of my family is like very take things very seriously and doesn't tend to see the joke side. Yeah. So as I, I can sometimes rock the boat, should I say, uh, with that side. But again, no, but I love it because then it just sort of gives me. A bit of thrill in life <laughs> to see what faces they pull when, when I say something. Like, they go, shouldn't have said that. Oops. <laughs> but but no, but yeah, but definitely take your time and don't rush into things. It'll be probably the advice I'll give. But again, that, that's the same thing with my wheelchair. I I still do to this day go really fast in my wheelchair and uh, run a few people's feet over. Because back at school times, and honestly, was in around the corridor like Lewis, like my Lewis Hamilton on Formula One, and so I thought there would always be someone around the corner, and they'll get the the fright of their life. Yeah. So I've I've been told to slow down on many occasions, and I've once got in, into detention for it <laughs> at one point. I love that. But, there you go. but yeah, slow down. 
I actually think that that's a really good piece of advice just in general for anyone because I think a lot of people do tend to dive headfirst into decisions which if that's who you are that's who you are like I'm very much someone who also dives a bit headfirst into decisions and and deals with the consequences later but actually not maybe not even slowing down but like pausing for a second just to take it all in and reassessing and and like almost giving yourself a little bit of an evaluation would be so beneficial like 19 year old me could have done with that advice but 19 year old me didn't take that on board so actually whilst I love it as a piece of advice would I have taken it probably not (laughs) yeah Uh, I'm very much the same because I I I tend to tell tell anyone that I've got selective hearing so um I tend to sort of you know I tend to just block everyone's advice out so I probably would have took my own advice in the first place anyway Uh, but yeah but it's definitely something in general and me going in as first I mean if you're a diver you probably can't go in as first and anything else but very true there you go so I like to think that through through and like any form of, of hardship or struggle or something that we found difficult, if you can look back and pull out a positive trait about yourself, then you've learned something. And I was wondering, what is a particular positive trait that you've noticed that you have? Everything you sorry, sort of blurred. Oh, no worries. What is a particular positive trait that you have looking back through hard times? Okay, so definitely my positivity, mm-hmm. if I pronounce that correctly, um, because um, I, I so when I was uh, a teenager at school, um, my mum was had a nervous breakdown, mm-hmm. um, and so that was a bit of a um, she she was at my my nan's place for quite a while uh, for five months I can't really remember it was that long ago mm-hmm. but um, yeah so um, I tend to just sort of um, you know think she'll, she'll be back soon you know she'll be alright yeah. uh, and and also when it came to the pandemic the lockdown I was very much thinking oh this is a sort of mini holiday I've got no work to do lovely <laughs> but we, in reality, um, the uni said, you're still doing your work, just, just at home. I'm like, damn. <laughs> this is so, not what I signed um, up for. <laughs> yes, exactly. This is what I signed up for, a lovely hot summer doing nothing. <laughs> That's what I was hoping. Um, but no, unfortunately not. Uh, but still in those sort of dark times, um, people was struggling and you know I can very much see that for myself through a zoom camera mm-hmm. so the blurry zoom calls we used to have yeah uh, with the wi-fi sort of dropping out every now and then and so um and I was able to sort of lift people's vibes up because um even my one of my lecturers um they had a bit of a tough time as well and they said that you're smiling fact Spotify's every time they come on a Zoom call or Teams call and sort of like, you know, oh, how are you? Um, they were surprised that I was actually quite a chipper. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a holiday. It's a hot, lovely holiday. That's what I'm going to call it. 
and I'm not doing it. So yeah, those kind of things were lovely. And and now looking back, um, just sort of saying, are you, are you really okay? As a sort of asking that question again, mm-hmm. after, and other people say, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, putting on a smiley face, and actually inside they're not, and just having that sort of conversation, especially at the time now when mental health is a lot more open and a lot more discussable mm-hmm. compared to maybe four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, those sort of things I I do now, sort of like getting into sort of deeper conversations with people and sort of saying that, you know, I'm here for you and, you know, I still do try and make light of it. And, again, that's the filter in me again, it's just sort of, getting myself into a bit of a clutch situation and being a, bit, a little bit awkward sometimes. <laughs> but again, but, but they knew that's what I'm like. Yeah. So um, it kind of helps with that one. But yeah, but very much, yeah, it's just sort of taking the time with people. So, yeah. I think it's, firstly, thank you for sharing that information because it's never easy to talk about suicide, regardless of whether it's friend, family member, yeah. however it touches you, it's, it's never an easy topic. So thank you for sharing that. And I think what you said is really interesting as well as about doubling the question of are you okay? Because you're right, a lot of people, the first time they're asked, they'll say, yeah, I'm fine, brush it off. Yeah. And actually, if you you ask the question the second time, like, are you really okay? That gives, yeah. it gives a, a space for someone to actually say maybe, maybe they're not okay. But equally yeah. in that, I think there's a lot to be said for, you can only help someone as much as they want the help as well and that's a quite a hard phrase to sometimes accept particularly surrounding suicide because I think everybody thinks that they can help way more after it's happened but actually the likeness is is that sometimes maybe maybe you couldn't and you should never beat yourself up for that but being able to ask someone if they're really okay is is actually something really beautiful that you've taken out of a really horrendous situation yeah and I'll say that um, because I'm quite a good reader of body language and being very observant, mm-hmm. so I can sort of almost tell now, um, you know, if if someone's sort of looking onto the distance or just sort of putting a face or something, uh, I can sort of tell there's something not quite right. Um, uh, but again, I didn't notice that back then but now I can definitely sort of tell and of course during the lockdown people had a lot all sorts of mental health issues Mm -hmm. but trying to do it by text wasn't really the way it was definitely face-to-face conversations Uh, you can definitely almost tell body language Uh, I do remember uh, reading about body language of a blurred blurred video Mm -hmm. on a zoom call and um, just try to get that across but now, thankfully, we're at a time where now, with the vaccine available and other precautions, that we're able to get out and be able to treat people the right way yeah. compared to before and uh, being able to move on from that and, yeah, be able to sort of, hopefully, step by step, make the world right. Yeah. I like to think about the questions that disabled people get asked. Now, that sounds really weird on the surface, but actually, when you think about how many people ask disabled people bizarre questions, the, <laughs> there, there are quite a few, yeah. right? 
And I always like to ask particularly disabled people, what are some of the weirdest questions someone has asked you about your disability? Yeah. So the first one that pops into my mind straight away, and I just laughed uh, just then, uh, was um, I had to go toilet mm-hmm. is the first question that gets asked quite quite regular, um, regularly. Even when it's like, you know, even like um, ch- um, children, they've got no filter. Yeah. So as I say, I had to go toilet. I do have sex or other sort of things. And, but getting to thought was the main one. And I just remember thinking, oh, how do I answer that? And I was sort of say, I was sort of uh, transfer and sit on the toilet just like just like you do. Yeah. Um, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that was probably the mo- that was probably the most awkward one that that's come up. Yeah, but it's mainly the toilet one. Yeah. I get asked. I, I would love to hear everyone else's answers to that one actually. There are some real, I've had this conversation now with like over, over 90 people and the toilet one always comes up, the sex one always comes up and then quite often something that really comes up is people will ask if they can pray for you. Like, oh, I'm sorry you're in this situation, can I pray for you? And it's like, look, whatever relationship you and your God have, that's amazing, but don't include me. Like, I'm very happy the way that I am. I don't need you to pray over my arm because it's never going to grow back. And that is what it is. Actually, you just saying that actually just really, I have, I've not been asked that when I've had people come up to me and put their hand on my head going, mm-hmm. God with you, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of looking at them with the wide eyes going, okay, because, you know, I don't believe in God in any sense of the word. Um, I, I do believe there is something there, but I don't think it's God with a white beard with a massive hand that goes down from the clouds yeah. to sort of greet you. Um, but, yeah, I've had that one before, the hand on head from various people. And so people are going up to, okay, God bless you, like that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And I'm going, she's cross, it's happened again, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But now I do find it quite amusing, especially my nan, bless her, she was very much a churchgoer and very much a positive person. And she, um, if you put your mind to it, you can. Uh, yeah. She was going a bit crazy towards the end. Um, well, not crazy, but, you know, so I to forget things a little bit more. But before that, um, so if you can put your mind to it, you can walk again. Apparently, I used to be able to walk when I was a kid up until about, I don't know, two or three years old or something, only for a very short time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't remember it at all, but apparently I used to be able to with support bars or whatever. And if you put your mind to it, you can walk again. I'm, I'm sort of looking at I'm going, no, 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 no. Just, just say yes or just say okay, just, you know, sort of let the conversation ride out, ride out. Mm-hmm. But not me, I'd be going, no, I can't, because I can't. Yeah. If you can't do it, you know, I'm, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think back and first of those memories now. But, uh, yeah, it, 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 very amusing stuff people come up with sometimes. I only yeah. have a final question for you that now. Um, is that it? <laughs> that, that, well, this is my final question, and, and actually it's, it's my favourite question because I always love hearing the answer, and I think, 
the answer really enforces like what I stand for. And that is, Peter, are you disabled and proud? Of course. I won't have it any other way. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving up your time to be on the podcast today. I have found this such an entertaining episode and I've learned so much about Botcher that I didn't know before. So really, thank you for coming on and thank you for having this conversation with me. Well, thank you, thank you very much for um, getting, getting in touch because obviously we were meant to do it. I mean, I think last, last month or month before and then it would just be like... <laughs> happens all the time it really does I mean I always (laughs) set out to do something and just sometimes other things happen and it gets pushed back or like someone's unwell and but it is what it is and we've got here now and I'm so I'm so happy with this episode yeah and and it is very much giving us a great union to start with actually as well Mm -hmm. so yeah well of course I mean has anyone ever said no I'm not disabled I'm proud of two before yeah they have the first ever episode I did, uh, it was the, it's the only person that's ever said it. The first episode I ever did said no. Oh dear. But I'm I'm on a journey towards that, and I was like, oh, like Good. I'm I'm glad that you're on your journey, and I'm sad that you're not. But at some point, when you will be, you've got to come back, and we'll have this conversation again. Yeah. But 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 I'm pretty sure everyone's going to say yes, of course, <laughs> because that's the title of your podcast. So it'd be quite disappointing if someone said no. <laughs> but no, definitely proud and definitely disabled, unless you want to. Um, sort of like um, there's a there's always a bit where it says um, prefer not to say or those bits when they say mm-hmm. um, I I don't see myself as disabled. Well, clearly you can see you're disabled, so why not check that box? Yeah, but there you are. But no, thank you for having this conversation. I've really really enjoyed coming on eventually. <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of disabled and proud if you've enjoyed the show then please give it some love by leaving us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts it really helps us to reach more and more people each week plus if you've got a particular highlight then i'd absolutely love to hear it tag me on your insta stories at disabled and proud podcast